We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. And welcome to Overnight America. Starting a chilly week, at least we'll have a couple of days in the future that won't be so chilly. Uh, I'm looking forward to those days in the 40s. At least we didn't get pounded with snow like they did on the East Coast. Pretty terrible. I got to say, our friend Richard Bino is joining us. We got a lot to talk to him about, and that'll be in the next segment. I wanted to um, start the hour by talking about Dustin Diamond, 44 years old, had a lung cancer diagnosis, stage four, not that long ago, died in the hospital today. Say by the Bell star, Dustin Diamond played Screech, very popular character. And it's something I wouldn't normally start the show on, but I was thinking about Say by the Bell the other day, and I was thinking about what that show meant to me. Uh, and it's not like it's this giant influential thing. It's not that I would credit my existence and understanding of the world to say by the bell. I mean, not really. I mean, it's a TV show and it's not meant to be something that reflects real life or anything along those lines. But what it reminds me of is coming home from school and turning on the TV and watching an episode of that. It was on constant syndication. It was a fun thing to watch. Before you got to high school, you looked at that and said, oh, this is what high school is like. He played this nerd kid, a funny, you know, goofy, weird, quirky character. He was so good at that role. And I was thinking about the show. And I was thinking about that even to this day, I look back at all the characters and the actors on that show and think I'm still invested. And I hope that whatever they do is good. I wish them well. I, I, for, I don't know why. It's not like any other show I watched in the 80s or 90s. I would go back and say, man, I really hope that actor gets a big thing or I'm, I'm going to root for this guy. And it's not like that. I don't know why, but it just felt like you had this weird connection to them on TV. And I'm sure you have your own TV show that was like that. I'm guessing that whatever shows were popular when you were younger, and if you watch them or whatever, that you might feel that's that weird connection to the characters. And then when the actors eventually grew, you thought, man, I'm really hoping good things for them. I'm rooting for them. I want them. And that's what Saved by the Bell was like for me. It's a weird one to do. A lot of people go back and watch it now and ask, does the show hold up? And it really doesn't. I was watching this one interview from about five or six years ago. It was on Extra when Dustin Diamond was sitting down and talking to Mario Lopez retrospect. 
there was a little bit rough years there for a while back in the 2010s ish where the Dustin came out with this book. It was supposed to be like a tell all book and it wasn't too nice. Didn't really show a flattering tale of the behind the scenes and it made him really look all that bad. I don't know if the intention was to make everyone else look bad and make him look like he was the victim or if it was just his take on it and his take on it was one that wasn't welcome. But either way, they ended up making a Lifetime movie on it. It wasn't all that great to begin with, but all the other cast members didn't like it. In fact, it, 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 they kind of left him out anytime there was something Save by the Bell related. And that was kind of it. I mean, once in a while you saw him. I think he did like a celebrity boxing. I think he went to jail for a little bit. Troubled child star in that sense. And then for a while there, he was trying to make good, sitting down with Mario Lopez on Extra, the two cast members from Save by the Bell. When was the last time you saw any of the cast members. It's been ages. I mean, I haven't seen Mark Paul since I was 16. Really? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Tiffany or Elizabeth since then either. You know, I'm 39. It's been a minute. Wow. Is there anything you'd like to say to them if you saw them? Gosh, yeah. I would just like to give them a hug and tell them how proud I am of what they've been doing and, you know, ask uh, for forgiveness for any kind of, you know, misunderstandings that may have, you know, come about by the book. And, you know, obviously it was never my intention, but with my name being put on the front of it and with Ghost Rider, by nature of it, his name is nowhere to be. So it's believable that it was mine. You know, the photo thing happened after that, uh, um, People Magazine, things like that, where I wasn't part of the cast, I wasn't part of the cover and stuff. So everyone started, you know, the telephone game, the rumors, oh, well, he wasn't invited. No one wants him there. No one likes him. So after that, it was like, oh, well, he's the bad boy. He's bitter. He hates everyone. He's, he's you know, he's kind of turned his nose up to the world. And they really haven't. That's the farthest thing from the truth. What'd you think when you saw the Saved by the Bell reunion on The Tonight Show? I wish I could have been a part of it. You know, I didn't I didn't know that was going on until it was already done. You know, but uh, I thought it was funny. I thought it was great. I mean, just the wardrobe and seeing the set and everything else. That was oh, it was fantastic. Funny memories. Do you still want to um, pursue acting? Do you want to be a public figure? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is it's all I know. I mean, I've been doing it, you know, acting and, and performing for since I was eight years old. So it's really my bread and butter. It's, it's what I know best and I'm, I'm fairly good at it. You know, it's, it's I'm, I'm proud of the work that I've done when I've done it. It's just, uh, how do you come off of such a phenomenal, you know, phenom role of this screech character? Yeah. You really can't once you get something like that, it's very difficult to break free from that. He never really did celebrity fit club. He was on celebrity big brother uh dickie roberts former child star that was a movie i never saw but it's just funny name dickie roberts it's a pretty funny title for a thing he filed for bankruptcy that you know there's a lot of things that went on in his life after all of this and the, i keep going back and i keep thinking about this one interview and how important that is in so many different people's lives to be able to at least try to make peace and try to at least say you're sorry for the things that you have wronged in the, uh, either people or events or groups or whatever it is, how important it is to at least say, you know what, uh, I, I didn't mean to cause that harm, ill will. I hope they can forgive me. And I go back and keep listening to this. I'm thinking I'm glad that he had that opportunity. I hope that I hope that cleared some things out, even if no one else would look at it and say, yeah, um, it doesn't mean we're going to start including you magically, but still it's a nice gesture. I feel like there's a lot of opportunities in people's lives and every single person I'm sure could have that opportunity to do that to someone from their past. So let that be known before it's too late. 44. You don't expect to go out of this world at 44. Say by the bell star 
known best for Screech, Dustin Diamond, passing away from stage four lung cancer. Ah, well, coming up right after the break, Rich Rabino, author of American Politics on the Rocks. We're going to look at a few things that have happened this weekend, really historically speaking. You heard in the news by CBS already uh, members of the Republican Party being distanced and Marjorie Taylor Greene being the big name in the headlines. So where have we seen that before? There's been a lot of different efforts where members of Congress have been cast away. So we'll talk to Rich about that too. It's Overnight America KMOX. Weekday mornings at 8.30. Charlie Brennan and Amy Marks Kors provide perspective on KMOX and KMOX.com. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks, soon to have another book out. Rich Rubino, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing today, Ryan? You know, I'm doing all right. So tell me what the last couple of weeks have been like for you, the first few in the Biden administration. Is there anything that you've been paying close attention to? Yeah, no, I really have. It's been interesting to see, I mean, to see kind of where Joe Biden is trying to position himself. Will he be trying to position himself as a centrist or will he try to kind of propitiate the Democratic base? And so far, in terms of his executive orders that he signed, he seems to be moving to the left. Now, that's something oftentimes the president will do in the first couple of weeks, the first month of the administration. And then once you get closer to the midterm elections, they will move closer to the center. Um, obviously, this was the argument that Trump was trying to make. He was trying to make the case that Joe Biden is somehow a Trojan horse for the left. In other words, he himself is not necessarily, you know, an unadulterated, unreserved liberal, but he will come in there and he will be so weak that essentially AOC and the um, Progressive Caucus will take over the White House. I think so far, though, it's, he has not moved. I mean, I think so far, um, you know, obviously he's signed executive orders, and executive orders are things that can be rescinded by the next president. So they're not stuff that's perpetual. They're not going to be set necessarily um, necessarily in stone. But, it, you know, it's interesting. He's doing what kind of what he can by executive fiat, if you will, but he's now going to be meeting with the Republicans to talk about corona relief, to talk about budget resolutions, and we'll see what he's going to try to do, if he's going to try to siphon off some Republicans to vote with him. But um, it's interesting because, so for the corona relief specifically, you, know, you need 60 votes generally in the United States Senate to get something through, get something major through, meaning that you have to invoke cloture, which breaks off a filibuster. A filibuster is essentially um, delaying a vote to the point that you can't even have the vote anymore. So uh, it used to be talking called talking to death when you would read the phone book. Harry Reid would read about Search Lake Nevada, his hometown, for example. So it's interesting if he can't get the 60 votes to upper and it's peers that he will not be able to, then you'll see if he goes to rescission, which is essentially means that you can get something passed with 50 votes, which certainly would be effective. Um, but it obviously will put a bad taste in terms of partisanship in the mouth of some Republicans. In the House, you only need 218 votes. But right now, the Democrats have an extremely small um, majority to work with. They're literally at 222 Democrats to 212 Republicans. So he really can take very, very little um, people, uh, both in the House and certainly no, none in the Senate, um, moving off the reservation and voting against anything, which means essentially that moderate Democrats are really hegemonic right now over the, uh, over the legislative agenda of the United States Congress, like they were, for example, in 1993. In 1993, when Bill Clinton was trying to get his budget resolution, uh, the Budget Discretionary Act of 1993 passed in terms of deficit reduction. It came down to moderate Democrats in the House. 
got to the point where Ray Thornton of Arkansas, his hometown congressman, would not vote for the resolution. So he went to, it was literally, he needed one vote. So he went to Marjorie Mitchell Spazvinsky of Pennsylvania, and she landed up voting. She landed up kind of, um, um, she landed up being the deciding vote, later losing re-election. Then he went to the Senate. He actually had six defectors for his budget resolution, but it came down to Bob Kerry of Nebraska, one of the vociferous opponents for the Democratic nomination, and finally Bob Kerry voted for the resolution. So it's very interesting to see how he's going to play, how this will play out. Now you mentioned uh, Bill Clinton, 1993. You want to guess what the number one song in 1993 was? The number one song. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at it. I had to look it up. It was uh, uh, Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I would back. not have guessed that. I would not yeah, I would think it's pu- something maybe Public Enemy, but maybe that was a little earlier. Oh, no, then follow. That was Tag Team. Whoop, there it is. <laughs> oh, these great songs. Okay, so you talk about the reconciliation and the idea of how they're they're looking to move this forward. I, I do want to talk to you about that, but I, I wanted to give you an observation, and maybe you can tell me if it's a fair or unfair observation. And it might just be a COVID thing, but it seems like in the onset of the Trump administration, he was out a lot, right? He was in front of people, meeting with people, doing yes. things. Today... This was the first meeting Joe Biden took uh, with the House Republicans. I remember uh, I I listened to the brief press uh, briefing that Susan Collins did, and she said, we're honored to be the first meeting that he's taken in the White House. And I keep thinking, man, he hasn't made that many appearances. He's been very limited in the time that he's given to reporters or talking. It seems like the complete opposite. So there's been a lot of things going on behind the scenes, a lot of flurry of activity when it comes to executive orders, things like that. And I don't know if that's a fair observation. Is, is that a little bit different than how most presidents start off their presidency? No, uh, in terms of Trump, you're right. In terms of Trump, um, he the next very next day he got he was out. He gave a speech um, to the CIA employees, for example. I think there are different types of presidencies. There are those that I think you know are all constantly on Air Force One, um, barnstorming the country, giving speeches. Um, sometimes they're campaign speeches. Sometimes they're speeches to get their legislative program through. I think Joe Biden is more of a Gerald Ford or a Lyndon Johnson type. By that, I mean politicians that do not necessarily spend an inordinate amount of time um, out speaking. There are more people who I think would spend time talking to legislative to legislative leaders, trying to, to trying to figure out strategy in terms of getting legislation through. Um, probably dealing with some of the intricacies of the jobs, you know, appointments. I mean, right now a lot of it is certainly um, figuring out who figuring out, you know the White House staff, kind of how that's going to, how that's going to, how, who's going to be, and who's going to, who's going to have, you know, power over certain, um, over certain decisions, how his day is going to go. And that's probably what Joe Biden is probably more, um, that type of a president. Some of them could do both. Um, Bill Clinton, for example, I mean, would work 18 hour days. He would go out, he would give a speech and then he would come back and he'd meet with legislative leaders and, you know, that type of thing. But I mean, some of it is too, is just a matter of getting settled. I'm sure there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of things, even though Joe Biden was vice president and been in the Senate since 73, there's probably a lot of work that he probably did was unanticipated. And some of it is probably the work that we don't see in terms of intelligence briefings, in terms of meeting about, you know, what happened in Miramar this past weekend, for example. So I wouldn't read too much into that. But I don't think that Joe Biden is going to be the type of a politician that's going to be spending a lot of time on a, a lot of time giving policy speeches. That being said, once we get to 2022, um, since it, since it's so important for him to keep the Democrat control of the House, and he'll probably lose in the Senate, but to at least um, at least salvage as many seats as possible, he probably will be spending a lot of time, inordinate amount of time, um, on the campaign hustings. 
Yeah, so that's all fascinating. I, I like um, seeing what's going on right now when it comes to the press briefings. I've been trying to watch some of those. I don't know if you catch those or not. Um, they seem to be quicker, uh, at least in this case. And I, I keep going back and trying to pay attention to the answers. There's a lot of non-answers, which I think is pretty <laughs> typical, I guess, when it comes to politics. Yeah. You know, someone will ask a tough question and there'll be a lot of non-answers. They're just very tactful of how they set it up and to lead you into the impression that they're doing something or something has happened. But in all reality, they never answer the question if they're actually doing something or not. Like, you know, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example, but it's like, you know, as you can tell, this is a very important issue for the administration. And because it's a very important issue, we have extended uh, our interest in this, this, and this. But it didn't say they did anything. It just said, okay, we understand it's an important issue, but because we say that, it makes us hint that we're doing something, but it doesn't mean they are. Yeah, no, obviously, it's it's very hard. I mean, absolutely. Certainly, the Biden communications team certainly has experience in this, as most presidents do. Usually, um, you very rarely do you answer declarative sentences. And you see this all the time, by the way, if you watch the debate and there's a candidate that does not want to talk about a certain issue, what they will do is they'll try to answer it in one or two sentences, and they'll try to deflect and talk about what they actually want to talk about. Um, certainly, you see a lot of this in polit- terms of political communications generally. Obviously, if you answer a sentence in, very decla- in a very declarative way, then someone's going to come back, come by, come back, and say, you know, this is the way he an- that person answered. But if you answered more subjunctive, if you answer more or less, you know, that's something the president really views as very important, something to that effect. Or you know, the president will certainly look into that then certainly you can kind of change the way that um, the way the, change your language a little bit later on. Um, it's like when, for example, you know, when you're running for office and you say and someone says, will you do, will, someone says, will you do, will you, what will you do with taxes? And the candidate says, you know what, I'm not going to raise income taxes. Then the candidate gets in office for governor. And you know what they do? They raise another type of tax. They close corporate yeah. loopholes or they or they cut local aid to municipalities. So they have to raise property taxes. Then the candidate goes back and runs for re-election. He says, you know what? I never raised income taxes, which is true, but people are still paying the same amount. They're just paying it a different way. So it's very sim- Or you raise fees, something like that. So it's very similar. Yeah, or in similar what we saw with the issue with fracking. So they were very definitive. Yes, you yes. know, Kamala Harris comes out and said, no, we won't ban fracking, you know, in the, in the way that they said it. And then Joe Biden comes in with an executive order and they said, well, actually, if, you, if we want to be specific in the language we use, we're technically, you know, and then they pull one of those. Oh, no, absolutely. And executive orders are interesting, too, because, you know, Bill Clinton really, I think Joe Biden could learn a lot. Bill Clinton really perfected him in terms of specifically his second two years in office. So he had very few of the first two. But what happened was Dick Morris kind of infiltrated the administration. Dick Morris, the former Republican consultant who'd worked for him in Arkansas, helped salvage his political career, came back. And so a lot of these executive orders the president signed, people never hear it because they're so minor. It'll be like, I direct, this, this executive order directs the Secretary of Agriculture to look into this or to look into that. And what Bill Clinton would do is he'd actually, he'd actually devote entire radio addresses to something that's very minor, but something that can appeal to a specific constituency. So as a result, you know, um, sometimes he would actually even go out and give speeches about an executive order that he had signed. So now, you know, politicians can actually use executive orders kind of to their kind of to, to, to the, certainly, fa- certainly favorable to them politically. And sometimes I think that a lot of people don't quite realize, I think, you know, the body politic, people have lives, they don't necessarily realize the legislative programs, they don't realize how there's so much power and executive power, executive order actually has. So they might think that the president's just signing something by fiat, 
and it's just essentially becoming law for time and memorial. So, you know, Joe Biden can really do a lot of a lot of good politically for himself if he kind of plays his cards right in terms of the executive orders. But eventually he's going to get to the point where there's only so many more he can sign because he signed so many in the first couple of weeks. He could have, you know, bared it out, do one here, do one a, couple, a month from now, one another month from now, one another month from now, something to that effect. I was going to say they're already looking at the pens and the inks run dry on some of them. Um, well, maybe after the break, we, we heard this in the news at the top of the hour, a quote from Mitch McConnell, at least uh, CBS Radio News was using it, how they're saying that uh, problems with characters in the Republican Party like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Can we yep. talk about that after the break? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and we'll do that. And of course, if people wanted to look you up online, plita-geek.com. And if they wanted to find you on social media, Rich, where can they look? Yep, just go to Twitter, Rich Rubino Paul, P-L-L, or just go to Facebook at Rich, Rich, R-I-C-H, and then last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. And I think we're still in the window. If you want to go online and wish Rich a belated birthday, you can do that, too, on social media. We'll continue with him right after the break, and we'll take a look at your weather on Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Get ready for Billikens basketball Wednesday night as they take on LaSalle. Pre-game 545, tip-off at 6. Hear it here on your home for Billikens basketball, KMOX. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. I'm your host, Ryan Recker, and joining us is Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks. Polita-geek.com is where you can find him online. We even heard it at the top of the news there with CBS and talking about the problem that Marjorie Taylor Greene poses to the Republican Party, even Mitch McConnell coming out and distancing not just him, but it sounds like the party by itself and how to handle something like that. I'm sure you've seen personalities like this before in different uh, parties in the past where there have been a very, um, well, disruptive, we'll put it that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's always, I mean, at the so the, so the issue here is you've got a freshman member of the Republican Party, a party of 435 voting members, and now she's being portrayed on Saturday Night Live. She's on the front page of the newspaper. 
Um, this is something. The re- this is a bugaboo. The Republican establishment does not want. They do not want. To, they do not want voters in 2022 to go to the polls and see the re- wherever the Republican candidate is is the party of Marjorie Taylor Greene. And they're putting a lot of conservatives specifically in a tight spot because, on the one hand, they want to continue to get the money and they want to continue to get garner grassroots supports, supporters who may be, who may favor a lot of what she says. But on the other hand, they don't want to lose the establishment support, and they also do not want kind of moderates or Biden Republicans, if you will, to kind of, you know, leave ship and not necessarily support them. So that's the problem she has. Certainly the Republican Party has had a couple in the past, Bob Dornan, for example, a congressman from Orange County, California. He was known as B-1 Bob because of his support for the B-1 bombers um, produced in his home state of California. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because there were a few instances, for example, he went on the House floor on one time, and called Bill Clinton, said that Bill Clinton during Vietnam, because he was protesting in London when he was a student at Oxford, had given aid and comfort to the enemy. Um, and then later on, he was later actually expelled from the House floor because he kept coming on back in 1997 after a disputed election with Loria Sanchez, where he lost by about 987 votes. But there was, he was somebody who was constantly, their Democrat Republicans were constantly asked about just because he became such a name. At one point, Bill Clinton said essentially that he looks like he just had, he looks like he, he, he just had his rabies shot. So he was someone that garnered a lot of media attention. Um, then on the Democratic side, actually James Traficant. And it's interesting. So James Traficant was a Democrat. He was the one with the kind of this really peculiar hair. He would get up there on the House floor and he would say, beam me up. And he would um, give these speeches. And at one point, um, he actually became, he became, yes, yes, and he became an independent. He left the Democratic Party, and then right when he left the Democratic Party, it turns out that he had allegedly, um, some of it, he had paid, he had forced some of his staffers to work on his houseboat. So there was these hearings, and then there was, a, there was an impeachment, there was a expulsion hearing. Only one member, Gary Conant of California, voted against him being expelled. But he just got garnered so much attention. Bob Packwood, another example in Oregon, back in, back in the early 1990s. Um, it's very hard sometimes for, a part, for somebody running for office to just try to show themselves as being different than kind of the stereotype. And the Democrats are going to do everything they can. They don't want, I, don't, I doubt from a strategic standpoint, they want her to be expelled or to leave Congress. They would rather have her stay, and they would rather have, play ads that show a picture of her and then a picture of a more establishment Republican running in 2022. They want to make her the face card, if you will, of the Republican Party. Mm, I, you got to put some context into beam me up. So when would he <laughs> use that phrase? <laughs> he would give these speeches about stuff that about odd stuff that was going on in the country or stuff. Um, for example, he said at one point he, start, he talked about a poll that showed only 12 percent of scientists um, believed that there was a higher power. And then at the end of the speech, he would go on and he would say that most of those are the same absent minded professors who couldn't even find the toilet. And they say, beam me up. And he'd give these speeches, and you can go to YouTube and you can hear him. Sometimes they were just a couple of minutes. He'd get in the, he'd, he'd, he'd go on there and he'd talk about just really odd, odd things. And then he, as I say, then he would do, then he would, then he would say, "Beam me up." But he had this weird hair, so it was a, he became almost a household word. And for the luck of the Democrats, he was very kind of on the outs with the Democrats um, later in his in minutes, later in his, um, in his in his in his term in the House. So he actually became an independent. And a right, but a few years after he became an independent, these exit allegations came up, and then he was actually had to sit in front of the um, House Ethics Committee, and he testified for himself. Interesting. This is someone, by the way, in 1983, when he was a sheriff, 
He also had corruption charges, and he's the first person in American history to beat a RICO statute representing representing himself. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> he's a very much very much of a character. Yeah, and I think that in ways over the past couple of years, we've seen certain prominent Democrats uh, also come up that have become oh, yeah. uh, not necessarily the face for the party, but they have become very outspoken. You know, the Ocasio-Cortezes of the world uh, and, and like Representative Omar is a big one that comes up to name. And some of the different um, uh, backgrounds and scandals of things they may have said and done in the past. Uh, Tlaib, I think it is, the one in Michigan. So there's a yep. few of them that yep. have uh, come out and been pointed out. This is a little bit different in this sense. But then again, I don't think they've always been courteous to other people in Congress either. So there might be some. It, it's weird, the staying power. Sometimes it's leaned into by the party. Sometimes it's looked at as a threat by the party. Some people say, OK, they're going to continue to push the party even further because now they have this political sway. It's weird. Sometimes the characters, uh, I shouldn't say characters, but sometimes congressmen could become this character and sometimes they lean into it and sometimes they, you know, push them away. Well, yeah, the, I think the last time the Republicans really tried to push someone away actively was probably Steve King, not the author, mm. but the, um, yeah. the congressman from the congressman from the district in Iowa that includes Sioux City. So he was somebody who had a history of what a lot of what some people viewed as white supremacist. He had suggested that it's impossible to be um, it's impossible to be raped. To be, he suggested sometimes that it was kind of impossible to be to be raped in terms of um, incest. It was just had some very interesting. You have to kind of look it up. Yeah, some very weird. interesting per- perceptions. He was viewed as a white nationalist. He talked. He asked at one point why it was the white nationalist was viewed as kind of um, a negative term. And then you had Mitch McConnell actually going on to say, if anyone has to learn that, um, you know, they really have a problem. And in the, every other election, the Iowa. Iowa Republicans have kind of begrudgingly supported him as their candidate. And then he'd say something more, and he'd say something more. Actually, in 2016, for the nomination, because he was popular within a very conservative constituency or coterie within the Republican Party, you had Ted Cruz, who actually garnered his endorsement, but you also had Rand Paul you know, going up to Iowa, trying to kind of kiss his ring, um, making it, go, going to events with him. So he was really kind of coveted a prize to get his endorsement. So he kind of went a step too far in 2019, and as a, as a result, and you almost never see groups in Iowa like the Right to Life Committee actually endorsed his Republican opponent. And part of this was because while he was making all these incendiary comments and he was a Silberton orger, he was also on the Agricultural Committee. And on the Agricultural Committee, he could potentially bring in largesse to the state of Iowa. So what the Republican Party did, which is very rare, is they literally stripped him of all committee assignments. So as a result, his Republican opponent could say, what good can a congressman do if he's not on any committees? He can't talk about his clout on the Agriculture Committee anymore. He can't author legislation in the Agriculture Committee. And anything he does author is never going to go anywhere. So as a result, um, you know, event, so as a result um, he had really no kind of um, political pull to talk about what he's being able to do for his own district in 2020. So he lost re-election. You know, Kevin McCarthy, Liz Cheney said he should find another line of work the entire establishment of the Republican Party pretty much left him out to dry. He still ran as a grassroots candidate, but landed up losing. Rich Rubino from American Politics on the Rocks, author of that book, and another book coming soon in politi-geek.com. There was one question asked today during the press conference in the White House, and someone was asking, now that Donald Trump is off social media, is it easier to 
talk to Republicans because he doesn't have that direct sway? And I thought that was an interesting question. It, yeah. it made me wonder what kind of sway does now former President Trump have over Republicans when he can't go online, social media wise, make direct comments? And, and does does that maybe lessen his power when it comes to what other Republicans are doing? Yeah, no, I think that, and also just simply the fact that he's out of office. I mean, even when he was in office, he could just go down and have a, even if, if he did not have social media, he could go downstairs, go into the briefing room, and excoriate a member of Congress who didn't vote his way or had condemned him, something to that effect. But certainly that's correct. There's, I mean, obviously he's doing, he can do things behind the scenes, but the fact that you don't see Donald Trump every day and the fact that he cannot go on Twitter and immediately go after somebody, I mean, in two, just when John Thune, for example, um, from, South, from South Dakota, the number two man in the Republican Party, suggested that Joe Biden won the election, Donald Trump, within, 24, within a couple hours, goes on there and calls him a rhino, calls him Mitch's boy, and says we need a primary challenge for him in 2022. You know, he can't do that, um, so I guess he could try CB radio or something, but um, right now it does not have that effect. <laughs> CB radio. That would be one way <laughs> to do breaker, it. Breaker, this is Donald Trump. I'd like to talk to you today about the Republican leadership, maybe. I don't know. That's, was, that's what would maybe the avenue be? he's got. It's like trucker handles and things. <laughs> I'm sure he would have to have a really cool handle. The, 45, the, the he can call himself. Oh, yeah. Breaker, breaker, it's 45. I love that. <laughs> okay. Well, well that Benny makes me wonder, too. Bit, yeah, go ahead. Betty Ford, when she was in, when she was first lady, used to actually go on from the White House. She called herself First Mama, and she'd be talking to truckers. So, no way, really? Yes, she did. This is when this is when it was kind of at its high water mark. CB radios, people wanted to go on CB radios. They thought they were just so cool, and she would go on there from the from the White House and do that. Wow, uh, that would be a, a strange thing. Did she identify as herself, or was she playing someone else, kind of like Mitt Romney when he was online that one time with a fake persona? Oh yeah. <laughs> No, she would actually. If she would actually say that, you know, she was. Um, there's actually some pictures of her, but she, with her CB radio online. But she would actually say, "Yeah, you know, I'm Betty Ford," and she would be talking to truckers. And she, did, I mean, this was the time when everyone was so interested in that type of a thing because it was a new medium, if you will. Um, and people just like the idea that you could have a party line, you could have, you know, people from different states being able to talk on a CB radio. And she was at the White House, and she'd be talking to truckers. Oh, isn't that something? That sounds so great. Uh, there's a lot of CB radio fans. The person that did this show for a long time on KMOX radio from, you know, 70s to late 90s was a man by the name of Jim White. He was a big CB radio guy, and he would handle that. A lot of old radio people loved getting into it. And I don't think people realize this. If you walk through a neighborhood and you see what looks like a giant dish or like an antenna, it's not for yeah. trying to get TV stations into the house because, you know, they're off of the cable or whatever. It's because a lot of them are broadcasting uh, shortwave or whatever in their house. And they, they built these elaborate towers in order to broadcast out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I remember. Well, even I, re I can remember in the late 80s and the early 90s, I certainly had a uh, had a had a CB radio and I would sometimes uh, be talking to uh Talking to talking to truckers, I remember I was, uh, <laughs> and not only truckers, but just you would talk to every anyone within kind of a thirty mile radius. I think I had my original um, handle was broken leg. Then someone asked me why it was broken leg. Did you break your leg? And I said no. I just thought it was kind of cool. So then they said yeah. you need to have a reason for it. So they came up with the name Black Bear, and I couldn't figure out what the reason for Black Bear was, but I just thought it was a cool name.
It's a cool name. You know, when I was growing up, the only way you were able to do something like that is if you had a Mr. Microphone, and it was only to radios that were really close in proximity to you. Do you ever have one of those? <laughs> I do remember that. I do remember having a walkie-talkie, and I'd put one, and then I'd put the other next to each other, and then you'd hear this back, and then you'd hear this um, background noise, and it would just kind of go, and it would, they kind of, you could see the two kind of meeting, and then once in a while, you could hear somebody maybe... Maybe somebody three or four miles down the road, you could hear other people talking. You can kind of listen into the conversation. Oh, yeah. What a thrill that was when the early wireless like uh, phones that you had inside the house. So it was not the cords, but the cordless phones. And then you could some people I remember my uncle had one of these. You bought a device and it was able to pick up some of these signals like of the close neighbors. And you'd listen in their phone yes, conversations. Yes. <laughs> I do, I do remember that. It was almost like party lines. I remember um, in college, sometimes I'd pick up the phone, and you could hear the neighbors just talking to somebody else. Um, and for some reason, you would get it on your phone, and I mean, you could listen to it for hours, I guess, if you wanted to. But they weren't saying yeah. anything that interesting, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, see, now you're dating yourself. Now, there's a certain cutoff point to party lines. After I don't even know when those were phased out, and the only reason I know they exist is because of the old movies would have them every well, once in a while. I think it might have just been some sort of almost um, a faux pas within the, um, within the system they had. I don't know what it was, but for some reason, you would just pick it up and you could hear people talking. You don't know if it was you know, the people in your dorm or the people in the couple of dorms down the road, but I do remember that. I don't think it was actually called, it might not have actually been a party line, but... You could sometimes listen in on conversations. Luckily, they weren't necessarily talking about me. Yeah, <laughs> you would hope not, <laughs> unless they're talking about Black Bear. You know, they're using your code name or whatever, try to evade. So if people wanted to look you up again online, you have your blog and your posts and your appearances. Where can they look? And by the way, they were never talking about the constitutionality, constitutional permissibility of the line item veto. Never happened. Oh. Um, <laughs> you can go to... Uh, Rich uh -oh. Rubino on Facebook or Rich Rubino uh, Paul or um, you can do, on Twitter or you can just go to uh, geekcom Perfect, Rich. I appreciate that. Uh, and of course, or you can find I, me I'm on always... CB Radio as Black Bear. Yeah, I know. We're going to have to pop it in real quick and see. And there may be a lot of CB Radio people listening right now and being able to pop one of those things up there. I'm always a fan of it. And, you know, and I, I would always want to try it. But here's the thing. I do four hours of radio every night. Like I need to get an, another opportunity to broadcast, <laughs> but maybe a uh, Mr. Mike would be the way to do it. So Rich Rubino, thanks for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ryan. And he joins us on the Bomberito automotive group guest line on overnight America KMOX. Now back to overnight America on KMOX sponsored by Michael's flooring, the flooring experts, Michael's flooring outlet.com. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. And I was um, looking online, and it was one of those sad things. You don't know why certain things trend the way they do. And Tony Bennett's name came up, and you click on it. You think, oh, I wonder what's going on with Tony Bennett. Number one, you don't realize he's 94 years old. Well, you probably could have guessed he's up there. I didn't realize he was 94, though. He looks great for 94. And the news came out today, he's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And at that age, it's not an easy thing to, when any family member of yours has to go down that road, and you know that there's really no way to turn that around, or there's no going back. And you have your good times and your bad, and it's a very difficult thing to see someone you love slip away in that way, where their physical body is there. But the nature of how you communicate with them their ability to recognize you and their ability to take care of themselves, all of those things go away. 
His wife, Susan, was uh, talking about it. He always likes to say he's in the business of making people feel good. And so he never wanted the audience to know if he had a problem. But obviously, you know, as long, you know, as things have progressed, it's it becomes more and more obvious when you interact with Tony that there's something up. And so it just seemed like now was the right time. Is he in pain? No, he's not in any pain. And that's why he doesn't think anything's wrong with him. He's like, Susan, nothing hurts. I feel great. You know, he works out five times a week. He sings twice a week with a pianist that comes over. He only understands if something is an ouch, you know, then there's a problem. If you ask him how he feels, he says, I feel great. Is anything wrong, Tony? Nope, nothing's wrong. <laughs> you know, we came home one night after the show and he said to me, Susan, you know, I can't remember the musicians' names. And I just chalked it up to him being, you know, at the time, you know, late 80s. We forget things. And he said, no, no, he said, this isn't right. So four years later, what is his life like? Does he know who you are? Does he know who Thank Dang goodness he son? does. He knows all his kids, absolutely. And he knows me. When you're somebody's caregiver 24-7, it goes a long way if they still know you. You know, every night when we go to bed, he says, I love you, Susan. And every morning when he wakes up, he says, I love you. Oh, that's great. It's tough. She is handling it really well. And you notice, too, those that are closest to someone battling Alzheimer's, let it be a spouse or a child that is assuming the role of caretaker. It's tough because they go through a lot because they're the ones to see it in and out. And they have to be so strong and they they know it. They know that the rest of the family is watching them. And they know for their own sake that they have to mentally prepare to know it's not getting any better. And somehow they're still optimistic and they're still upbeat and realistic. And it's there's so many different roles that a caretaker has to take on. In this case, his wife is about 40 years younger than he is. 40 years younger. They've been married since. Hmm. Well, actually, I don't know if they've been married that long, actually. I think it's. In over the past 10 years, somewhere in there. But she's opening up talking about it. Apparently, the diagnosis started in 2016, and they didn't really talk much about it at the time. So back in 2015, that's when you heard her saying that he expressed difficulty in remembering some of the musicians' names and such. And they called it on and off. They said on and off memory issues. And he's been pretty functional. I mean, inactive, too. He's recorded duets he's recorded music he's done different things with different artists he's recorded with lady gaga um just recently he was at the grammys he did all these things and it's pretty remarkable all things considered the, you know the weird thing if someone were to ask me what type of music genre is tony bennett i wouldn't have answered jazz i don't know why he's considered a jazz legend and I don't if someone would have said I would, I would have just said, oh, it's, you know, it's that uh, classic lounge, slow music. I, it's a type of contemporary music in its own way. But I don't know if I would have called him a jazz musician, but it's probably good to die to, to go out there and say that. But Tony Bennett now in the news, I hope that for the family's sake and everything else, that things could continue the way they are, that he doesn't feel hurts that he can stay in physically good shape that'll always help that all the family members and the kids and he'll continue to remember them and it doesn't uh slide as fast as it could and i know this from my experience at least with my grandma once it happens it happens it happens fast i mean they could be diagnosed in a way that's somewhat minor then all of a sudden it's ramped up and then six months later it's a complete night and day difference it, it really is strange how that mind works so much that we don't understand with him.
When we uh, come back, we're going to take a look at your local news, of course, and a look at your weather. And I want to talk about that COVID bill update in the next hour. We also have a guest that is the author of a book called Reframed on self-regulation and getting through some of those bad COVID habits that you may have picked up. We'll also open up the phone lines. We'll take some of your calls coming up in the next hour, too. I'm your host, Ryan Recker. This is Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.